so let's get started with uh, everyone's favorite 19th century Dutch Calvinist. Uh, here's Herman Bavink from 1909. Is that, is that the way to start? That's one way. I don't think anyone knows why. <laughs> right? Someday, I hope. So, I was, we're, we're all, you know, doing brackets. I, I told her, I'm like, it's hilarious that there's like the, uh, the cool, trendy youth pastor stereotype of like caring about... Because Chrissy like vetoed like three outfits before I came. It's like you can't just like wear an undershirt with a hoodie. I'm like, why not? Like, I'm gonna wear the hoodie. She's like, no, yeah. And so I'm like, she made me change like three times to like get to this, which is. Not... And I'm like, hey, I found shoes in the closet. She's like, yeah, I hid those shoes in the closet. I'm like, why would? And yeah, so it doesn't hold up. And we're we're okay. Herman Bavink, Dutch Calvinist theologian from the 18. 18- Hundreds. This is 1909. He writes, Inasmuch as the image of God consisted not only of knowledge and righteousness, but also of holiness, the restoration of man must restore him to a right relationship with God not only, but must also renew him internally according to the demand of his holy law. Sin is guilt, but it is also pollution. Justification delivers man from his guilt, sanctification delivers him from the pollution of sin. By the former, his consciousness is changed, and by the latter, his being is changed. By means of the first, man comes to to stand in right relationship again. By means of the second, man becomes good again and able to do good. So if you read that a lot more slowly than I just did, that's a really excellent and helpful quote. Um, because, well, here, right, this year we're talking about what it means to be human, right? And, and one of the fundamental aspects of being human is being created in the image of God. And to be in the image of God, Bob Inc., I think rightly says, means we have a proper state, right? We have personal holiness and a proper status. We're a child of God or a friend of God. And sin, of course, brings guilt, which ruins our status. We go from being God's friend to God's enemy, and it also ruins our state, right? It brings about, uh, his words, pollution. I think that's a great word. Sin pollutes us. It ruins our state. So instead of being holy, we're corrupted, we're polluted, we're dirty. We We can even say we're evil. And the gospel addresses both of these things. It addresses our status that's justification when, um, when someone who trusts Christ is instantly declared righteous. He's forgiven. He's, he's made a child of God. That deals with our guilt, our status. And the gospel also addresses our state through sanctification, which is the lifelong process of the pollution being cleaned up. It's personal holiness being restored. It has its ups and downs. And while Christ is our sanctification. It requires our spirit-wrought efforts, our grace-fueled blood, sweat, and tears to accomplish. So we have justification and we have sanctification. Um, Justification is being declared righteous instantly. It fixes our, our status before God. Sanctification is a lifelong process that deals with our state of holiness. Um, you guys, you guys understand these two words? Kind of. I feel like, like even if I'm teaching adults, like every time I bring up justification and sanctification, they're like, hang on, can we, can we do more than a 20 second definition? Because I can't keep these quite straight. 
Um, which isn't surprising because the fact that we can't keep them straight on, on paper, if you would, I don't have paper handouts, um, is part of the reason we confuse these a lot in real life as well, right? So for example, easy example, if we think our good works and our faith-fueled efforts, our sanctification, earn us a right standing before God um, as, as friend, not enemy, that's just working your way to heaven. That, that's good old-fashioned legalism. It's the opposite of the gospel of grace. Um, but more subtly, you know, think about how we pray or maybe how we don't pray. Um, so when we sin, we... The, the call of somebody who sins is to repent before the Lord, to go to him for grace and repentance. Um, but when we sin, we're kind of afraid to go to God and pray um, because we're all, we're all dirty. We're, we're, we're polluted, right? We feel that. And so we don't run to God in, you know, in, in the sinful state um, because we think our access to him is somehow based upon our actions and not upon our justification, what God did for us in Christ. So um, 1966, back when Tim was a teenager, <laughs> hands in my pockets. Um, so uh, Bobby Moore was this famous soccer, I don't know soccer, right? So he's a soccer player um, for the English soccer team or football club or whatever you call it. Um, and so in 1966, he, he led the English-British soccer club, I have no idea what to call them, to win the World Cup. And so, so it's uh, in Wembley Stadium in London, and uh, Queen Elizabeth gets to present, is it called the World Cup? Is that what the trophy's called as well? Okay. Uh, I should have like, researched this slightly more. Um, so, so after the game, Bobby Moore's like the captain of the team club and he starts climbing up the stairs to the platform where queen elizabeth standing with the with the with the trophy and like halfway up the stairs if you watch the video he starts to realize oh man like this is queen elizabeth she's like in the royal jewelry she's in like a white dress she has on the fancy gloves because she's the queen and here he's played 90 minutes of soccer he's covered in mud and sweat and blood I assume and just all kinds of nasty so he's walking and he's kind of trying to like clean off his hands so that he can shake the hand of the queen and get the trophy when he arrives and like when we when we cross wires on justification and sanctification we kind of do the same thing that if we're going to approach God we can't climb up to him metaphorically speaking uh, with sin on us with the pollution of sin like, we need to clean ourselves up to get to him. We, we say, what matters for my access to God is my sanctification, removing pollution, and not my justification, removing the guilt. Um, and, but, but, like, that's not how it works, right? When we're justified, God says, you are my child. It doesn't matter how sinful you are now. It doesn't matter... You know, if you're dirty, if you're polluted, you have access to me because I declare you my child based on what my son has done on the cross. And um, so, so we don't want to wait till this process of sanctification that's going to take a lifetime to, to, to reach a certain level before we start acting like Christians. 
Um, in fact, we're going to run into all sorts of issues if we do. So all we're doing tonight is talking about the, the simple phrase of, you know, we're doing the we are's. We are in process. Um, so, so let me pray for us, and then we'll start. I feel like the more, the deeper we go into the series, I'm like, the less I want to lecture, and the more I'm just like, hey, I want to talk. <laughs> like, I, I kind of have an idea of where you guys are at and where, you know, maybe assumptions are made. So this may be, it's like Dan just rambling for 40 minutes, which is totally fine for me at least. Um, but let me pray for us, and then we'll start seeing how this plays out. Um, Heavenly Father, you are kind and good, and this is so often something that we know in theory, but that we ignore in our, in our practice, in our experience. So I pray that this evening you would help to um, help us to recapture some of the, uh, the, the trust we have in you and the, and the love that we have from you and, and for you. Help this to be an encouragement to remove some of the, um, the stress and the, the pressure that we put on ourselves and that um, society puts on us and help us to be able to rest in Jesus Christ and what he has done to purchase salvation on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So when I say we're in process, I'm talking primarily about this this period for Christians called sanctification, right? What happens between when you come to Christ, when you're saved, when you're justified. There's a million ways to say that. When you're born again and when you're done, when you die. Maybe when Jesus comes back. I mean, you're probably going to die, statistically speaking, but whatever. It's beside the point. Um, so if you're a Christian, this is where you're living at now. Um, if you're not a Christian, I hope you'll be at this point at, at some point. Um, and, you know, you get to peer in the windows and see what actually goes on in sanctification. Um, which I think is helpful because a lot of our assumptions aren't usually right. And so when I say sanctification, I'm talking about this process of not dealing with our guilt before God, the legal declaration, but the cleaning up of our lives, removing the pollutants and becoming holy again. Um, so, 2010, which is, Dylan, when were you born? Uh, 2011. Okay, man. Okay, this is, this is just another Dana's old illustration. Fantastic. Okay, 2010. When were you guys born, though? Okay, so you're like five. You remember this. Uh, off the coast of Louisiana, a BP oil rig exploded, killed like 12 people. Um, one of the largest oil, well, the largest oil spill in... American history, maybe world history. Um, we had the Exxon Valdez before that who just ran into Alaska, apparently. Um, but like five million barrels of oil just got dumped into the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and it was fairly quick to be like, oh, BP's responsible for this, right? It's their oil rig that exploded. And the, the I mean, the legal work was, as far as legal work, it's a slow process. Um, but it was pretty quick and easy to hold BP guilty for the spill. And, you know, once they paid the $21 billion, B, billion with a B, um, you know, once they paid that in fines, like their guilt was done away with, right? They were guilty. They paid the fine. 
and they were good to keep doing whatever they do. The, the, the cleaning of the Gulf of Mexico and the shorelines and the water and the animals and getting the fish safe to eat again, like that's a much slower and time consuming process. You have to like catch a duck and scrub them with dawn or something. I have no right. idea. Um, and like it, it's harder to, it's not easy to pay off $21 billion, maybe if you're an oil company. But like that's a quick process, the dealing with the guilt. The dealing with the pollution is the longer problem. And, and so like that's what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of Christians. The, the fees, the, the debt of guilt of sin has been paid by Christ on the cross, but the pollution still needs cleaning, right? And the promise to Christians is the Holy Spirit is going to make us holy, to restore what we were created to be. And so like uh, Romans 3.23, somebody commented on it, you know, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, this statement about our condition is so sad because of how magnificent humans were made to be, reflecting God's glory. Humans are not scum. We are not vile. We are fallen, glorious creatures who have allowed sin to distort and destroy, affecting both our internal and external worlds. Sin muddies our unique, glorious reflection of God. And so sanctification is the process of restoring that, that glory. It's something the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. He makes us holy. And uh, so generally speaking, people are like, okay, I'm tracking with you. But then we get to this question, and then everybody goes off the rails for some reason. Okay, so if this Holy Spirit's at work in Christians to make him holy, how do we know if the Holy Spirit's working? Like, how do we know he's, he's acting in us and, and on us? Um, and historically, you get just crazy answers, you know, barking, <coughs> laughing, fainting, so on. Or maybe you don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um, you guys heard of, like, the Shakers or the Quakers, the Quaker Oats, the oatmeal guy? Yeah. Um, you know, though, a few hundred years ago, they, uh, they were called that because they thought when the Holy Spirit came upon someone, they would shake, shakers, or they would quake, quakers. Um, and maybe, um, I don't see that in the Bible. Here's what I do. We don't have any Bibles. Let, let's grab some Bibles. Tim's got them. And we'll go... We'll go two verses once Tim gets these out. If you have a phone, that's fine too. We're gonna go to Romans. We're gonna go to Romans five five first, and then somebody else is gonna go to Galatians five six. So someone Romans five five. I got it. Someone else Galatians five six. And then somebody else Galatians five twenty two, and three. Okay. Romans five. Romans 5, 5, Galatians 5, 6, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And then we're all going to rendezvous in 1 John 4, 11, because that's a longer one. All right. So question is, what, what does it look like? How do you know if the Holy Spirit's at work in you? Because that's an important thing to know. If you're a Christian, you're going to grow in holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? What's it going to look like for me? Um, and so let's just read a bunch of passages and see if you notice a theme about who the Holy Spirit is or what he's done. So Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been pouring, pouring into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given, given to us. All right, so what happens because the Holy Spirit's been given to us? 
Okay. We have God's love in our heart. It's Galatians 5, 6. Whoever. Okay, so in Christ, it doesn't matter your ceremonial religious status, um, but faith working through love. Or, you know, what does the Spirit produce? He produces fruit, like the fruit of the Spirit, which are... I was going over here. Or you can do it in unison. I don't care. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no more. All right. We've seen any themes so far? Love. Love, yeah. Um, so First John 4, go to verse 11. Let me read down through 21. Um, First John's towards the end. It says, uh, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and this love is perfect. It's brought to completion in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us the Spirit. So we know we're in Christ if he's given us the Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, so we, like the theme's obvious here. The Spirit is given to give us the love of God. And that's what counts for everything Galatians 5, 6 says. It's, it's faith working itself out through the acts that look like love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, goodness, oh, you know, the other eight of them. But the first one's first for a reason. Um, actually, fruit is singular, right? It's not the fruits of the Spirit. So some people would say there's not nine fruits. There's one fruit. There's love. Okay, what does that look like? Joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. I missed the one. Self-control. Doesn't matter. Um, and so, so we are in process, and the goal of this process is love, right? Which is not surprising because Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And? We're halfway there. You said the second part. There's a first part. Any other God before? No. Vertical, then horizontal. Couple came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what's the first and greatest commandment? And he says, It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second's like it to love your neighbor as as yourself. Um, so, so, like, part of being in process is that, like, we're constantly growing in our love, both for God and for neighbor. That, that's a primary work of the Holy Spirit. Um, 
Let me make a logical move here, though. Um, if God's primary goal for us in this process is love, then his primary goal is not something else, right? We're we tracking there? If our primary goal is love, then it's not something that's not love. So what I'm thinking is specifically is if God's primary goal in our sanctification is that we would become loving, then his primary goal is not efficiency, right? God's not overly concerned with the speed of the process, but what happens during the process, right? So here's what I mean. I'm, I am impatient. I am impatient. I am not a fan of process. I'm fairly results focused, you know, eyes on the prize, nose to the grindstone, just get it done. Um, so like this week, uh, I had to buy a new car battery for Christy last Sunday. She's like, Hey, come back from Sunday school, pick me up. My battery's dead. And like, so AutoZone tests it and they're like, yeah, it's dead, but we don't have them. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. Okay. Um, and so it's like, you got to go in some place that can install it on Monday. And, you know, I'm like, okay, let me call around. And like, I couldn't get in anywhere on Sunday. Monday morning, I'm like, okay, you can do it Wednesday. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, just give me the, like, it's Sunday. Why do I have to wait four days? This is America. Because, like, my goal is, like, I just want things done. I don't care about enjoying the journey and that kind of thing. I want, I want Chrissy to have her car back. And I can be like, no, I just love my wife so much. And, like, no, I don't, I don't want to go out to the car in the morning and go, and then have to jump it and get somewhere else. And, you know. I don't want to have to take her car because I'm a lot more comfortable being like, hey, random stranger at Aldi, can you dump my car than her with two kids? And like, I don't want her messing up my seat in my car. Like my seat's right. My backrest is right. The headrest, like my car is super comfy. Don't, don't drive my Corolla. It's mine. I don't want to have to deal with fixing. Like this is totally selfish and impatient. Um, just like, just get the battery changed and get it done. Um, but God seems to like taking his time on things. God likes the process. Somebody wrote, he said, they said, uh, God doesn't fret about process. He seems to enjoy it and value it. Like, look at creation, right? God took his time on creation. Why did, why did it take so long to create everything? If God has the power to just speak everything into existence, why did it take so long? And I'm not, you know, if you, if you think it took six trillion years, great. That's a long time. If you think it took six literal days, like God said, let there be light. And then what did he do for the next 23 hours and 59 minutes until he created water, right? Like, why did creation take six days to begin? What? Think of day six, you know. God could have said, let there be humans, and humans exist. But no, he like formed Adam out of the dust, and he came down and he breathed life into him. Like God values the process of creation, especially the process of creating humans. Efficiency is not his highest goal. But we tend to act like when it comes to our sanctification, that efficiency is, like, that God doesn't expect us to grow and be in progress. That he expects our sanctification to be as quick as our justification. You know, we think he really expects us to, expects us to go against the design of a slow process, right? Or just to say it bluntly, we ignore the fact that we're in process. And thus, it, we make God out to be a bad father, right? So Chrissy tells me that I'm impatient with my kids as well, which is likely true. And she's like, hey. She's four. Like, she can only do four-year-old things. Or he's one and a half. Like, 
you can't expect them to act like adults. That's just completely unreasonable for me to be like, hey, you're four. Why aren't you acting like an, an adult? Um, and we tend to assume God's like that too, that he expects us to be instantly flawless, purely sanctified and holy, never to make the mistake. And we see him just as this temperamental, angry father. And so, so you know, the Christian life is not one of growing in love for God, um, but it's oppressive. It, it's burdensome. It's heavy. We forget that God's kind and a gentle father, right? We only focus on God's hatred for our sin, which is 100% true. Not denying that. But then we have a hard time reconciling it with God being patient. Long-suffering is the, the Bible term having fatherly loving care for his people, right? Like, consider what it would mean for God to be a good father. Like, he, he knows us. He created us. He chose intentionally not to say instantly justified, instantly sanctified, but make it a, a process. And like a father helping his kid grow up and mature, he's patient, he's caring. He, he knows who we are and what we are, and he loves us in the process. And so, so God's highest value for us isn't efficiency and holiness. It, it's love. He's more interested in beauty than speed of process. He's more concerned to, uh, to lift our gaze to him, to, to provoke song to him, to stimulate our imaginations than just to get things done. Right? God slows down the process of sanctification, it seems, so that we would worship him, so that we would depend upon him so that we would trust him, that we would learn to love him and love others. I mean, do you know how inefficient love actually is? Like, to stop and care about someone else or something, like a dog. Um, but that's what God calls us to. He, he, he grows us in it. And so if the goal is love, the way to get there is love, and we slowly but surely with the Spirit's help grow in, in love, and God's highest goal in changing us to get us to this perfect holiness isn't like, okay, just be there instantly, but grow, trust, worship, rely, treat God as our heavenly father. Um, let me go down the other rabbit trail, right? Um, this maybe is, I'm like, this should have been a few weeks ago when we talked about being limited, but um, it's a mix of both, right? That, because we're in process, we're not glorified. We don't have the ability yet to handle everything. And so one of the ways that God grows us in the process of sanctification is by giving us things we can't handle on our own, by giving us hard things, by giving us stressful things, right? Um, I mean, going back to my kids, right? There are things that Ella can do as a four-year-old, four-and-a-half, that Asher can't do as a one-and-a-half-year-old. Because in those three years, you grow a lot. Um, there's even more things that I can do that she can't do, because in those 30 years, you grow a lot. And so, like, the stress is a reality. I mean, <laughs> this afternoon, I took Asher super into balloons right now. Like, his absolute favorite thing in the world is balloons. So, you know, rub it on my head, stick it on the ceiling. And he's just like, because like, you can't just like let him scream for the balloon on the ceiling. So I put him on my shoulder. He's like, ah, and he still can't reach it. So I'm like, okay, like you've had a hard time. You've tried. Let me, let me knock this down a little bit and you can get your balloon. It was hilarious. And I didn't want to do it all afternoon. Um, but like, 
when we're in process, right? Stress is a reality. There's things where we're like, ah, and we can't, we can't actually deal with everything because they're too hard or they're too scary or you're too young or inexperienced. And then those things, like, that's how God grows you. He helps you trust him by giving you stressful situations where you can rely on him. Um, and so like, if we can learn to love this, this process of growing in holiness, it absolutely changes the way we look at the world. Uh, because instead of being like anxious or angry in, in stressful situations, we can learn to depend on God to help us. And we see things as they really are. Um, so like, um, I don't want to talk about that. Um, so like Romans 8.28, right? A lot of Christians find that super comfortable. Anybody have it just off the top of their head? And we know. No. Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Fantastic. What does it mean to work for good? Like how do we define good? Um, because... We don't, we don't always know. Uh, a couple verses later, it says, you know, it's defiance. Being conformed to the image of his son. Like this process of sanctification is what God calls good. Um, and everything works towards that end to make us more like Christ. Because the process is to teach us day by day, moment by moment, how to trust and rely on God. And everything that we encounter, every hardship, every setback is going to say, okay, here's an opportunity where you can rely on God. Don't, don't, you know, get angry or pretend like God's a bad father by giving this to you. No one pretends that you have a bad personal trainer because they put more weight on the bar. Um, it, this is an opportunity to grow, to, to depend on God, to grow in your love for him and your love for neighbor, even though it, it's difficult. That, that's the way that muscles are built. Um, Yes, I have thoughts. If I have more to say, if, if we have, you know, thoughts or questions, we can we can talk a minute. Let me let me say a couple more things then. Um, so, in this question of okay, so God demands holiness, you know, that we're up here, but He doesn't give it instantly. He makes us work for a lifetime. To, like, why doesn't God just make us holy? Like, is is that a valid question? Like, if you want us to be holy, if you want us to be your children, you give us justification, you make us your children. If you want us to be holy as you are holy, why don't you just make us holy? Um, anybody? Good question? One of the questions. The oh, Josiah has this answered. Fantastic. Because then we wouldn't have any free will. Oh, boy. That's, no, that's another. If we made us perfect to begin with, then we never chose to believe in and, and uh, worship them. Okay. I might ignore that and just keep talking. Um, so... <laughs> that's just a big thing you know, That's... I, I want to answer that, but... Yeah. Um, no. So, I, I just finished reading a book um, which was uh, an explicate... Explic who says Explication. I do, apparently. I <laughs> um, so if you read a Puritan ever, 
you know, they dress like the Shakers and the Quakers. They have the buckles and stuff. Um, basically, the way a Puritan writes is he grabs one verse, like a shamwow, and he just starts twisting it and twisting it and twisting it. And it <coughs> starts dripping out all of this, you know, meditation and application for, you know, two to 600 pages. Um, and so I, this was like 170 pages on the, that verse, Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good. And part of it is like, what about our own sin? Like, does sin work for good? And he goes, absolutely. Let me tell you why. Um, because sins draw us closer in love to God. That, that's the point, right? Sins make us weary of this life. Sins make us prize Christ more above the things that we, we, we sin for. And sin brings about these special duties that Christians do, right? Like, when we sin, when, when Chrissy points out my anger or my impatience or whatever, I'm not just like, yup, wow, I have two sins in my life. That's, that's all. I'm like, no, I'm going to start searching my heart for other sins because she, she sees the tip of the iceberg, right? It also humbles us like, wow, I thought I was awesome. Maybe I should be a little bit more humble here. It makes me stop judging how terrible of a sinner Tim is, and I start looking at myself again, um, and then I start fighting against my, my sinful nature. Um, you know, when, when impatience pops up, I'm going to be more watchful next. Like, you guys ever go to like the Home Depot little workshop things when you were a kid? I loved those when, like when I was. Your age, not your age, goodness gracious, like six. I went with my dad to Home Depot once a month, got the hot dog. But like I'm taking Ella next week. And it's like, man, four-year-olds are not good with hammers. Like I need to, I need to be a little bit more watchful about my controlling nature. Um, just in preparation for next weekend. I can either make this miserable for everyone by being like, why isn't your birdhouse perfect? It looks like a four-year-old made it. Or I can be like, oh man, this is fun. I'm building a birdhouse with my four-year-old. Um, and, and like knowing our sin turns us back to God, right? He says that the way of repentance is one foot on the neck of your sin and the other turning back to God. Um, and then he goes, so don't abuse this. Don't be like, oh man, I should sin. God's going to bring about good from it. That's, that's what no one's saying. But he says, even the setbacks, our own wicked, heinous sins, are going to push us forward. If, if we love God, if we're called according to his purpose, then we are going to make progress in the Christian life. Um, John Newton, you guys know him? He wrote Amazing Grace. He was um, yeah. one of the... Yeah. Um, he was one of the uh, abolitioners of the slave trade in England. One of the ways he would talk about his own, his own personal testimony, he said... I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that. There, there's striving, but like, there's also progress. We're, we're not there yet, but we're not where we used to be. And, and that's what it means to be in process. Um, so that's what I have for you guys. Do you guys have... Thoughts, questions? I mean, this wasn't like an overly theological, dense, let me talk about the inner workings of, of the Trinity and how, you know, intra-Trinitarian relations work versus 
the creation of time or something. Um, or, or free will. We can do that some other time. Uh, but you guys have thoughts, questions? Anything about what it means to be in, in process? Yeah. 